Welcome to Speak Up with Rita Burke and Elton Brown. It certainly is a delight. It certainly is a pleasure to have Ordina Stevens Thompson back with us for a second time. Welcome, Ordina. Thank you so much. No. Yes. Ordina is a mother of two and a professional actor. She's been working in the theater, on television, in the film industry for over 30 years. She's a two-time Dora-nominated actress whose selected theater credits includes Fairview, The Kink in My Hair, Contraction, and quite a number of other stage and screen productions. Ordina spoke with us about six weeks ago, and she was so truly wonderful and full of information that educates, inform, and inspire that we decided we wanted to have another dose of Ordina Stevens Thompson. To our audience, let's welcome Ordina. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back with you both. It is certainly an honor to have you with us again. And the opportunity is wonderful because now we've had time to think about other things that we wanted to ask you from the last time that we had our conversation. And I'm going to start with my very first question. The Umbrella Academy. Now, I have to tell you, I've seen at least 90% of them. I thoroughly enjoyed the series. And I know that this was based off of a comic book, therefore, the Umbrella Academy. And I know that you were on one of them, also with the series called Grand Army you were in. So can you tell us a little bit about both productions, your characters, how you relate to them, and how they help your career? First of all, the Umbrella Academy, I didn't know at the time that I auditioned for the role that it was such a known comic strip or that it wasn't a comic strip. But the role that I played in that was a small role. I played a town nurse and I had a scene with one of the main characters, two of the main characters. And that day was great. It was just a small role, but I got to meet one of the actress's names who I now am trying to remember because he's now changed his name. But anyway, that that day was a short day and I heard that Mary J. Blige was in the series. So I was looking forward to meeting her, but she was not there that day. But everybody else was very kind. And it was a short, like I said, it was just a short little role on that episode. Grand Army auditioned for that with the writer who actually created a play. It was a play before it became a television series. And so my audition was with her. And she was very kind and took her time with me. And so when I got to set, I played a mother of one of the main characters who gets into some trouble. The school grand, the school is a school, like a, an art school. So there's people there that have different disciplines in the art. My son was a very accomplished trumpet player. 
And he got accused of a crime, which he, it was a joke at the time, but then they took it seriously because they have a zero tolerance policy. And so he was expelled and I had to go and speak on his behalf. So that was a short show as well. I did two episodes, I believe. Yeah, so that was basically my role in those two productions. Sounds like it was exciting for you to be a part of that series. The second part of that question was how I related to the characters. In Grand Army, I played a a mother, which I am, so I could relate to the character that way. And the whole idea of Black boys being streamlined into the prison pipeline system was a part of the story as well, with the zero tolerance policy at the school and then him getting in trouble once and getting kicked out. And then the option was, what do they do when they get kicked out into the street and they get involved in crimes and get sent to jail, to prison? So there was the prison pipeline. And I was trying to keep him from going down that road because he was very talented and had a huge opportunity to do something wonderful in his life by going through this school. Sounds like you were a good mother in that particular play. Sounds like you were a good mother, an excellent mother. Now, before we went live, Ordina, you were talking about the number of auditions that are coming up for you. So it seems to me as if you're always in demand as an actress. What type of role do you believe is most important for you? Which type of role are you desiring right now? I've always loved action movies. And I feel like I would love to do a role where I could be very physical and act sort of like a superhero kind of character. I'd love to be in the Marvel series or do something very... I saw, the first time I saw Kill Bill 1, volume one, there's a scene that opens with Vivica Fox and Uma Thurman and they're fighting and it's a long scene. I don't know if you've seen that, that movie, but it's a long scene and I just was so impressed by these two women going at it for 10 minutes, it seemed, fighting. And I just, I would love to play an action hero or being in a role where I could be physical and fight and maybe do some martial arts or anything like that. I find that to be amazing. I would, I don't know, looking at all of the roles that you've played, this would definitely be one that's out of the box, as it were. And absolutely. See you playing that, it would be absolutely wonderful. And I think that for most actors, they're always looking to play a character that they've not played before. They don't want to get stereotyped into playing one type of role. Absolutely. How does networking with your peers, how has that helped you in your career? I think when you work with people, you put your best face forward and you, because you are doing something that you love, you pour everything of yourself into the characters that you're playing. And also you bring yourself into it. So I was thinking about this the other day and I have been blessed to be in productions where I've gotten along with everybody from the cast and crew, stage management, first and first ADs, everybody. And I think because I love what I do, I'm able to bring myself to it. When I'm on set, I'm happy. When I'm on stage, I'm happy. When I'm rehearsing, I'm happy. 
So I form relationships with people that are authentic and lovely and people remember you and they, everybody wants to work with somebody who they like, somebody that they can relate to, somebody who is, has something, brings something to the table. I've been very blessed to have these experiences and have people remember me and people cast me in roles that I haven't auditioned for. They just offered me roles, which is a wonderful feeling for an actor to just be offered a, a great role because people know that you can do the role and that you're, you'll be pleasant in the room. You'll be somebody that people can feel comfortable in the room. You won't, you're not a, a disturber. You're not a diva. You're just, you're kind. So I bring kindness into all the rooms that I enter. Am I hearing then that personality and skill set has to do, they have to do with success in your particular field? Absolutely. You could be a great actor, but not be a very nice person. And people will remember you for being not a very nice person, even though you did a great role. So it's hand in hand. And those relationships are very intimate. When you're working on a stage production, you're in rehearsals for two or three weeks, even more sometimes if you're lucky. So you're working in close connection and building relationships and trust because you, depending on what type of scene you're playing, you have to be able to trust the person who's acting opposite your scene partner and have that sort of level of comfort. How did you feel when the cast was announced for the Toronto production of the Pulitzer Prize winning play Sweat and you discovered that your name was on the list? Amazing. I had auditioned for Sweat when I was doing Fences in at the Grand Theatre in London, Ontario. And I auditioned for the role and my director was actually a fight, my fight teacher in theater school, a combat teacher in theater school. And he's now, he's an actor as well, but he's now a director. And I auditioned for him and there was another production of the same play being done in Hamilton at Theater Aquarius. And he said, there's another production being done. And if they come to you and offer you the role, please let me know first. He was impressed with what I did in my audition and he offered me the role. And then I found out that Allegra Fulton, which is a, she's a wonderful Canadian actress, was in the show and I've always wanted to work with her. And then I found out that Kelly Fox was also in the show. And yeah. to work with these established powerhouse women was, I almost felt, am I worthy? Am I, am I worthy to be up? acting with these women. And it was a great opportunity. I learned so much from them because that's another thing too. When you're an actor, you like to, you still want to learn from others that you admire or look up to or have been in the business for so long or have had really great success in their careers or something that you can always learn and steal from them. So it was great to be in that company with these professional actors. Ron Lee was also in the show and he's an amazing actor who's done so much. So I felt like very honored, but then I also felt like I had to fit in. Like I, that little voice in your head that says, you shouldn't be here or you're not worthy. But because I was there, I had to embrace it. And I just soaked up as much of the talent of these wonderful people that I could. 
Thank you. Do you know what I'm hearing coming through in your responses is humility. Mm. Humility, and I guess that's the essence of success in any field, humility. You talked about a powerhouse woman. I see you as a powerhouse woman. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let me shift a little bit to the kink. The television series, The Kink in My Hair, aired from 2007, I believe, to 2009. Share three characters from the sitcom that remind you of certain members in your own family. And if you want to use names, go ahead, but I know you wouldn't. Uh, in my own family, the Kink in My Hair television series was a very special production because I had been in the stage production and I had played a different character in the stage production than I had played in the television series. Because it's about a Jamaican family, a sister, a salon owner, myself, and her sister, who I left in Jamaica to take care of my son. That's a familiar story for me because my mother, when she came to Canada, I was left with my aunt for three years. So that relationship of the sister who's left into Jamaica to take care of her nephew, my aunt poured a lot into me while I was left in Jamaica. She treated me like her own child and she almost had ownership over me. It was the same kind of ownership that Joy, who played my sister, did over my son in Jamaica. And that sort of caused a little friction once they came to Canada because she was not willing to relinquish the mother role. And I wanted to resume my mother role. And so we started heads about parenting styles that way. And that's basically it. My family members were not as vibrant <laughs> as Joy and were not as sort of the novelette character on stage. She was, I guess, my aunt. I guess my aunt who did raise me, she was a business-minded woman. She had her own business and she poured a lot into it. So I guess I could relate Novlet to my aunt B, who's now passed, rest her soul, and to my relationship with my aunt and how she poured a lot into me. That those are the the what do you call it? The from age from birth to age seven, those are the years that shape your life. And those three years really shaped me to into the person that I am today, I believe. I came up with independence. She taught me how to be an independent person. I was eight years old and I was ironing my own clothes. I was washing my own clothes. I was cleaning. I was doing all those things because that's what she expected of me. So when I came here, my mother had no issues with me. And yeah, so I guess that's those two women of who I can relate to in the kink of my hair. Wow. Amazing. What inspired you to pursue acting? I found years after I got into the industry, I found a picture of myself. I should show it to you, but I found a little picture of myself on a stage in a church production. My arms are out like this, and I had just finished saying something, and somebody took a picture. And I really didn't know growing up what that was. But when I came to Canada and I was an only child, I was a latchkey kid. And so television was my babysitter for the most part. And I would watch these sitcoms. And one of the shows that I really loved was 
the Carol Burnett show. I loved how she could, <laughs> you like that one too. I loved how she could do all these characters and they were so hilarious, but they were so vibrant. And I would turn off the TV and reenact all these characters. And so when I was getting ready to graduate theater school, I went to my guidance counselor and she asked me what I wanted to do with my life after I graduated high school. I said, I have two things in mind, either to be a lawyer or a, an actor. And she says, well, to be a lawyer, you have to have at least more eight years of school. And I thought, oh, I can't. I'll go down the acting route. So I said, how do I get into the business? And she said, there are two schools in, in Toronto that you can apply to, George Brown and at the time Ryerson was the name of the school. And she said, just go down there and find out what you need to do. So I lived in Scarborough. I took the subway down. I went to the school and I found somebody to talk to. And I said, I want to be an actor. How, what do I do? How do I? They said, you have to do two speeches and a song. And that's how you can apply. And at the time I thought speeches, I have to say a speech about myself, not realizing that they meant a speech in a play. So they suggested two plays. This is such a one play called For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough by Entezaki Shange. And I found a piece in that play and I, and they said, you have to do a classical speech as well. So I had just studied Macbeth in grade 12, and I pieced together Lady Macbeth's speech, and I did that. I didn't get into Ryerson. I don't remember the name of it now, what it's called. But I then hear from George Brown, and I called them up, and I said, I haven't heard from you. Does everybody that applied to the program get an audition? And they said, yes. You didn't get an audition? And I said, no. She said, well, we're having an audition on Monday. Come down. So I went down, I did my pieces, and the artistic director and the head acting teacher looked at me and said, who helped you with this? I said, "Uh, nobody. He said, and then he mentioned something about Jamaicans having a propensity for Shakespearean work because of the, I guess, the Patois and the Elizabethan language. And he said to me, to be an actor, you have to be crazy. And I didn't really understand that at the time. (laughs) And I thought, oh, okay. And then I got into that program. I was one of two Black students in the program at the time. And it was very daunting. It was a three-year program. And although I had done little things in, I did a little piece in a grade seven production of Tom Sawyer. And then I did a little piece in high school in the production called Sawyer Wrong Number. I played operator one and my line was, sorry, wrong number. (laughs) So I guess the bug was in me all along. And then when I had to go out into the world after high school, I had to decide what I wanted to do. And so that's how I actually got into the business. But that those three years were very difficult being one of two Black people, and then being the only one for the last two years, and then being one of three people left in the third, my third year to, to graduate the program. And that was in 1990. Okay. Comedy or drama? So do you prefer the comedic side of acting with Carol Burnett as opposed to drama, the kink in my hair? I think I have the same love joy for both. 
they're both part of my sensibilities. My last year in theater school, the, our final assignment was what's called a vocal mask. And it's in the third year, you do a one woman show or one person show for 20 minutes. And the theme of my show was laughter and tears, how laughter can heal and tears can also heal. So my I touched on both of those themes in my vocal mask. So I think I love drama because it touches on real emotion, human emotion that anybody can access or tap into or relate to. And then comedy is something that I love because I love to make people laugh. I love to make myself laugh. I love to laugh. I love to watch comedy, but that making people laugh to the point where they, their bellies hurt and they're begging you to stop, please stop. Let me catch my breath. That's something that I just love. It feeds me. So I don't know. I both, I can't, if I had to decide, Ooh, I'd say comedy just because who doesn't love to laugh? Both crying and laughing heals. Is that what you said? They contribute to healing. Yes, absolutely. Now here's a tough one for you. And I I know that you'll be able to answer it. If Ardina Stevens Thompson wasn't acting, what would she be doing? I think I'd be a lawyer. I think I'd be an activist. I think I would be championing the rights of people in with children, a child lawyer advocating for children, because that's very close to my heart. It's interesting that we have a very good friend who went to York University in Toronto, and he was into the arts and culture. He moved to England, to Birmingham in England, and was teaching at the University of Birmingham, teaching arts. And most recently, I found it, he went back to school and studied law. So there's hope for it. There's hope. That's a quite common thing that actors aspire to be lawyers. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's about the when you have to stand up and speak on behalf of somebody else and convince a jury that your case is the right case. Your client is innocent. And there tends to be a level of acting to be done in that in in that area. I would definitely agree with you on that. After watching 200 episodes of Perry Mason, he basically won every case, I think, except minus maybe one. And so there was a lot of acting going on in order for him to come across as portray a winner, a winning lawyer. So how do you feel about being part of that Pulitzer Prize winning drama in retrospect, now, when I first read the play, I was very confused. I wasn't sure what was going on and what the playwright intended. And I saw, and I, the more I read it, the more questions I had. But then walking into rehearsals and having conversations with our director and cast, realized everybody felt the same way. And we had to work through it together to find our own interpretation of what the author was doing. And how to actually put that across. Rita, I know you've seen the show a couple of times, so you know how it plays out from the beginning until the end. So it was a very collaborative experience. 
the director really wanted it to be because he didn't have all the answers. And we had to discover uh, the process as we went along. And we created a space that was safe to do that because the subjects and the things that come out in the play are very hard hitting and they're very triggering. So he created a very safe space for us to be able to collaborate and to express what we were going through day to day. We would start the day with a check-in and end the day with a checkout. So whatever happened in that day, or even before the day started, whatever you showed up with that you needed to speak about, just to put it in the room, to say, I'm not feeling great today. I had an encounter with somebody on the subway and it just threw me and you could put that in the room. And everybody would recognize that and say, okay, that's where you are. Respect that. And at the end of the day, we would pose a question, whatever it was, something it would be as, as silly as if you were a flower, what kind of flower would you be at this moment? Right? Yeah. So Fairview was a wonderful experience for me as an actor because it, it took me out of my comfort zone so much so that I had to find different ways to cope with what was being asked of me and what was happening internally. Because I'd never been in a space where white folks were being confronted with their perception of black folks and just letting them in to how black people feel when we are aware of their perception of us and how we navigate that in the world day to day. Trying not to feel apologetic about how we felt, the honesty of how that really impacts us. Like the, I mentioned the white gaze and mm -hmm. how that feels on a day-to-day -day basis, the issues of surveillance, how that really feels and how these little microaggressions build up in us and why we behave the way we do when those things happen. And just letting them know that it almost felt not letting in a secret, but just being open and vulnerable to letting somebody know how you make me feel. You might not be aware of it, but this is how I feel and being honest with, with letting them know that. And then letting them live in that space of discomfort and being okay with that instead of trying to smooth it over and say, oh no, everything's fine. I'm good. No, it's okay. You yeah. talked about you talked about the other being confronted. And I will add to that statement, confronted with our truth, our truth. It was powerful. It was very powerful. I believe that it was a performance that reeked of political and social activism. Those words weren't used, but that's what it was doing. It was pushing the walls down. I thought it was truly fantastic. I've seen you in The Kink twice. I've seen you in For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Not Is Enough. And I've seen you in Fairview. I'm going to ask you to choose which was your favorite, if that's possible. Ooh, I would think that's a great question because they've all been profoundly impactful for me. Janet Sears, who directed For Colored Girls, is an amazing human being. She is a generous director. 
She is kind. She creates such a beautiful space with her rituals that she does in every every rehearsal process. She is humble. She makes you feel that you have as much to offer as she does, that you, her as a director doesn't trump you as an actor and she values your work as an actor. And she chooses her actors very wisely, not just on ability, but on how they are as people. For Colored Girls, because I had, like I mentioned, auditioned with a piece from the show to get into theater school, decades later, be asked to be in this production was a joy. And to work with the women that I worked with was also a joy. But because I got to play two different characters, basically three different characters in the kink, I would have to say the kink in my hair is my favorite. Just because of that reason that I got to play three different characters and experience the magnitude of the show <laughs> and how it it transcended cultures and races and it touched so many people. Someone mentioned that the Mervish production of The Kink was seen by over 100,000 people in its run, which is incredible to me for a theatrical show. So just knowing that many people got to experience the show, and many of them came three, four times, is something that I'm really, really proud to have been a part of in, in the landscape of Canadian theater. I know that being an actor, especially for really heavy roles, can be emotionally draining because you're, you're giving you know, like a thousand percent of yourself every sentence, every movement. All of these things in your head are going around and everything is focused on this one thing to bring this character alive. Emotionally draining. So what do you do or where do you go in order to revive yourself? That's a great question. And that's something that I've had to put in practice for myself in the last year that I recognize that was something that was very necessary for me to do because you, you do go deeply into these characters to find the truth of them so you can tell them authentically. So for me, meditation is very key. And I've recently, especially just finished doing Furview, I adopted a practice of letting my mind know that the show is over. Because your body doesn't, your body doesn't know you're acting. So it's holding all the energy. So if you talk to yourself and say, I've just done the show, Fairview, and this is what I experienced. And now I am letting go and coming back to myself. Just the act of saying that and letting yourself know that, okay, you don't need to hold on to this, these energies anymore. You can let it go. And then you can approach whatever else you need to do, be with your family, take on another role, speak to your husband kindly, <laughs> anything like that. Just to, I just realized recently that when you don't release the characters, especially really emotional characters, that stays in your body and it manifests wow. in ways you don't even, you might not even realize. 
I would also assume that you have to vacation from time to time. You have to go somewhere and allow the sun to just melt your body and soul so that you're able to put it all back together again and you're whole and now you're ready to pursue your next role. But doing so, you need to eat. So I know that you were vacationing in Jamaica, I think. While you were there, what did you eat? Oh, my goodness. First of all, I was, I realized that I was not prioritizing myself enough. And I was going, and that was depleting me spiritually, Mm -hmm. to be quite honest. And so when I decided to go and take my two girls with me, they wanted to go to Jamaica, which is my homeland, my, my land of birth. I said, okay, let's go. So we went to an all-inclusive resort. Nice. I just wanted to relax and not have to do anything. And so there was, for breakfast, there was a smorgasbord of everything and anything to choose from. My second day there, I realized there was a Jamaican breakfast <laughs> buffet section. And I was, I walked over and I saw callaloo and green banana and yellow yam and fried fish and kidney, liver and onions. And I was like, okay, this is something that I'm going to have to participate in every day. Besides the the eggs and bacon, that's traditional. But to have a traditional Jamaican breakfast where the ingredients and the provisions are grown in the soil and the authentic taste of the food, Mm. I was in heaven. I had ackee and saltfish. I had plantain. I just soaked up and ate every bit of that that I could. For lunch, there was another lunch buffet with oxtail. There was a jerk chicken hut on the beach where you could have jerk chicken roasted on the the drum pan. Yeah. But it was like a big, huge, because it had to feed a lot of people. So it was like a big, huge. But just having access to the authentic food and the authentic spices and the ingredients. Oh, I was in heaven. Yeah, that was... That was as much what I mostly ate. Anything to do with Jamaican food. That sounds like pure joy, Ordina. My mouth is watering. <laughs> it started watering when you were talking about the ackee and all of those truly beautiful, wonderful things. So right. I'm just going to present my last question. Do you plan now to savor yourself, to treat yourself, to relax? After every play that you perform in? Maybe not to the extent of traveling to Jamaica, but definitely I think it's important to put in practice something where you can come back to yourself and also process the experience that you just had, whether it be a stage production or a TV and film thing, just to process that for yourself so that you can grow from any experience, you can heal from any negative experience attached to it, and that you can actually also celebrate yourself and say, yes, I did that, and I enjoyed it, and I impacted somebody. I just re- recently realized through doing the kink in my hair in Fairview, because I was always searching 
of a way to make my art an act of service. And because of these two powerful productions and the feedback that I got from so many people and how it actually impacted them in such ways that they went away for days, weeks, thinking about the show, I realized that what I am doing is an act of service and that I can celebrate that and approach every role or production that I do with that mentality of this is my art, this is my livelihood, but is actually an act of service. Wonderful. I will subscribe to that argument that it certainly is an act of service. And so I congratulate you. I thank you. I enjoyed everything that I seen you in and continue doing the wonderful work that you're doing out there, representing people, representing Black people representing women. You're telling stories that are critical. They need to be told, and I thank you. Thank you. I just want to add one other thing that a friend of mine told me doing the kink in my hair, the actress Debbie Yanganita Africa, who's a very good friend of mine that I'm actually going to be working with shortly. She said to me, you are a fabric of Canadian theater. And I never thought of it that way. I always thought that every production that I did, I was starting fresh. It just seemed like that to my mind. And when I thought about that, I thought, wow, I have contributed to the fabric of Canadian theater. And that gave me such a, a, a jolt of confidence. So now that when I am either offered something or audition for something, I go in knowing that I have a purpose and that I've done some good things and that I am of the powerhouse women that I mentioned before doing sweat. I can say, yeah, I have contributed. And that's a great feeling. So thank you. <laughs> so when you become the, I guess you're superstar now, so mega star, <laughs> and I'm waving at you with my, my autograph book. I hope you remember my face and sign my autograph book and this way I can go back and say I interviewed her <laughs> and I, now I have her sign her signature Rita and I wish you the best the best of everything oh yeah and congratulate you on your interview with CTB CBT as mm -hmm. I saw that you were smooth as silk I thank said, you so oh. much I said look at the lady go so Thank it, you I just have to say that before we we finally close and I wish you the best. I am going to now dedicate time and money so that I can see some of your iconic performances and I wish you a great afternoon. Thank you so much. You have me smiling from ear to ear with that comment. And from your lips to God's ears about the audition book, I will always, if I'm asked, be truly honored to sign anybody to my name to anybody's audition book I'm gonna hold uh, autograph that. book <laughs> yes okay thank you for listening to speak up international to contact our guest ordina stevens thompson please send your inquiries to info at speakuppodcast.ca do you have a service or organization you would like to announce to our communities Please send us your name, company name, website, description of your organization, and the service you provide, 
and your email address to info at speakuppodcast.ca. To listen to more of our podcast, go to www.speakuppodcast.ca or wherever you listen to your podcast and look up Speak Up! Exclamation Point International. You can find us on social media platforms, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Our logo has the woman with her hand pointing up, mouth open, speaking up.